playing on the title of the play, Long Day's Journey Into Night by Eugene O'Neill, today's episode brings us the saga of two Sicilian women and a piano-playing chicken. When Sophia's sister Angela makes another trip across the pond, she starts looking for places to live. But with Angela's perceived thievery, curses soon go flying. Will Count Bessie ever get her groove back? Will Tony have to go to the hospital for bag injuries? Will we ever learn where that garage chicken came from? All of that and more in today's episode, Long Day's Journey into Marinara. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance and sing, and laugh just As I'm sure you're all aware, there are several Golden Girls podcasts, and for this week, some are doing specials about Betty's life, and for us, I thought we could honor her the most by just doing the show. She was the queen of show business, and no matter what, the show must go on. So we're just doing a regular episode today, Um, and this is just a few days after Betty passed. I've seen but it's unsubstantiated that she passed away with a a nurse or or an assistant or someone at her side in her bed and I did see somewhere that her last words were Alan I don't know if that's just wishful thinking but uh, it's a beautiful sentiment I I could go on we could literally talk for hours about everything Betty did and the how she was in regards to animal rights civil rights women's rights, uh, breaking the glass ceiling, breaking the rules, and we could go on and on. And my takeaway is you you always hear from everyone that, like, she remembered your name and she smiled when she saw you or she hugged you or she said, I love you, or she always stopped to take pictures or she she let fans say, even though I'm sure she heard it a hundred million times of how much her work meant to them. And, but she always listened to it. And that really struck me because I have this like burden syndrome of not a self-worth thing, but just kind of like, Oh no, I'm, I'm in the way and no one wants to talk to me about stuff. And no, and we've had people with both the shows reach out to us and, and want to connect. And it's hard for me to grasp people would want to do that not not in a self-deprecating way does that make sense we're just like it's just me you know yeah, like what but I want to be more like Betty I, I'm not good with names so I'll never get that part <laughs> but the idea of it's not what harm does it do you're not annoying you're not um, a burden to say hello to everyone or to check in with people or to um, try to, to be that light to recognize and respect their fandom too right that's really beautiful right it's funny because when I first started the show and I started finding um, the Golden Girls groups on Facebook especially that just have thousands and thousands of members at first I was kind of 
not even sure how to navigate that community because I was like, well, it is, it's, yeah, I love this show, but it's just a show. Um, these people all seem cool, but I don't think I can keep up. I don't remember quotes. I don't remember um, exact episodes, you know, with my memory issues. I felt a little disconnected. And then as time went on, it was like more and more I've seen people share when they've lost a family member and they need being picked up by quotes from the show. Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, I've seen people celebrate getting married, getting engaged, having children that they named after characters, being in the hospital and they were able to find the Golden Girls. And it is it's such a unifying thing with her passing. It's funny. I don't know if it's because it was Betty. I don't know if it's because she was almost 100. I don't know if it's because she was the last one, maybe a combination of all of that. It's been so beautiful to see. Sorry, there we go. (laughs) The celebration of her, you know, and to see how uh, impactful her work was. Yeah, it's a it's a across the board. Yeah, it's a great connector for sixty years, for Mm -hmm. eighty years. You had families watching her variety show, and that was the connection. Was the family getting around the TV? You know, I have so many memories with my family members that have since passed watching the golden girls and to see all these people um come together and and it's almost like it's such a happy sadness it's almost like it's so sad because it was all so wonderful to see people say like when your hundred birthday's coming up and you know who you want to spend it with and it's a picture of her and alan or um a scene from the show where she gets home from vacation and all the girls are like, Oh Rose, you're home, you're home. And they're like implying that it's heaven. And I don't know that I believe in uh, any kind of afterlife or anything, but you know, just the idea of all of that joy. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's the beauty in, in her energy dispersing, you know, Yeah. that like now she's everywhere in a different way or, or something but it has been a, a strange loss because it's someone that's been in my life my entire life from mary tyler moore to golden girls to everything and so it is it's a disconnect because i know it's a celebrity i know it's <laughs> you know this this unattainable person and then on the other hand it feels like it was my own grandmother and and it's just been so beautiful to see the communities come together and support the people that are saying it's really really hard for them and to see people making jokes because that's what Betty would have done. She would have joked about it too. And so it's like, again, just a reminder of the power of this show and how beautiful Golden Girls was and and how connected everyone feels to it. And I would love to hear your take because you're new to the show, but you've you've grown to love these ladies. I think that the show is such an understanding show. It's such an open like an f- open forum for them to have discussions mm. that I think it gathered this uh, incredible a group of people that are a fan of the show that are passionate about it. And I think it's like, it's a magnet for those types of people. And so I think that's why this, it feels so lovely to see all those things and people are saying such, such good things. I don't know. The fans of the show are just, I think, really kind, sensitive people who are looking for something too, looking for a connection and looking for like to be understood in this world. Mm. And it's hard to find, and it maybe is silly to say it's through a TV show, but I feel that, you know? 
it's tough and it's tough too just like getting used to loss too yeah that's kind of a newer thing for for me to be experiencing is just the loss of relationships mm-hmm. losing friends to things and yeah didn't expect betty white's death to affect me the way it has yeah i really didn't i i i'm not I mean, I, I that i always feel sad for those things because i just love television and movies yeah. and actors and yeah. creators and stuff but no and i totally get that i i didn't tell i you know i didn't say anything about it i had initially been planning, we have a restaurant here in Gresham, Oregon called Sweet Betty's. And I had initially been planning on doing a celebration for her birthday, doing kind of a trivia night. And then as numbers started going up, I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask people to go out in public to do that. So we'll figure something else out. And then something just in my gut was like, I don't, I feel like she's not, I feel like she's going to, you know, the comedic timing. I love that you know, she had a magazine come out saying happy 100th birthday and then was like, bye. <laughs> um, and it's like something in my gut just knew. I was like, I know this is close. It's it's just like, I know it's close. And um, yeah, I kind of, I same thing. I didn't expect, I thought I'd be sad and be like, oh, you know, that that is sad. You don't want that person gone. It's a selfish feeling, but it's there. And um yeah, it was just one more thing where you like. It feels like there's not, there's not a ton of good left in the world sometimes, but she always was, always. So to lose that was like. One more, piece, kind of like you were saying, the type of people that are drawn to the show, the outcasts, the weirdos, you know. Yeah, they're um, the ones that get that, that are feeling the way we are right now. Yeah, and yeah. it's like we're drawn to that because, it, like you said, it's a safe space. And so to already be feeling vulnerable in the world to then know that that person isn't around, you know. It just, yeah, it did. It hit differently. Yeah. It hit and hard. I, let me say I would love to be talking and not crying right now. <laughs> that would be my ultimate goal. There's no way we could get through this conversation without no. this happening. I just can't. No, just, I had. Just... I tried to watch the SNL. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's I no was way. like, yeah. I think that'd be good because I think I could cry through it and feel really cathartic. But her monologue, just how funny she is in her 90s, my God. <laughs> and the way she talks, it's so apropos for now. I mean, it, it almost feels like she's talking to us from the other side, the, yeah. you know, the love and the joy and all that. But. Anyway, so I don't want to be a weepy mess, but we, you know, we, ha- you know, obviously have to acknowledge it and talk about it. And it's the feelings are going to be there a long time. It was it was bittersweet to watch the episode today before recording to just see her talent, especially in this episode oh with Bessie, God. you know, that piano. <laughs> yeah. in like my favorite sweater of hers. You oh, know? Yeah, it's that's, like that's that. A beaut. Yep. That was that was someone in my life. That's always been someone in my life. So. Anyway, so we're just here to tell you guys it's okay if you're sad. <laughs> we're all going to be sad for a while from this one, I think. Um, so we'll, we'll, we want to get the tears out of the way now and, and acknowledge her and share our love. And Yeah, we're recording this after the episode yeah. <laughs> so that we didn't have cry voice the whole time. Yeah, so. Um, uh, but I mean, you should, have tried, you should have heard Alicia say consider earlier. <laughs> she was already fully plugged up. <laughs> anyway so um you know let's keep the love going i'd love to 
uh, see messages from you guys, feel free to Gmail us. Always be my sisters at gmail.com. Um, always be my sisters pod on Instagram. If there are any memories you want to share, any thoughts towards her. And I love, love, love that there really seems to be a movement for her birthday to have everyone donate money to an animal shelter of their choice. Yeah. We got to um, do that and we got to we gotta post about that. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. That'd be no, so cool to get I a bunch think, of money for that. I think it'll be really interesting to see people go, wow, suddenly all these shelters have all this money. So um, I love that idea because that's very her. So with that, let's start the show and get back to work because that's what Betty would have done. And in that same vein, let's be kind, love one another, and take care of animals just like Betty would have done. There's no moon this Miami night as we join Dorothy in her grayish, purplish lounge pants and matching sweater blouse thing, and Blanche in a teal sweater doing her nails are watching the evening news. Dorothy, ever the intellectual, was moved by the story of a heart transplant. Blanche, ever the slut, was busy picturing Tom Brokaw naked. The incredible story on the news was undoubtedly inspired by the story of Ava Basie. On December 28, 1986, heart transplants were not only not common at the time, they were forbidden almost everywhere. In Washington, D.C., the surgery had not been completed, and the laws against it were due to a lack of demand. But when 20-year-old Ava developed a heart condition with no clear reasoning, doctors knew a transplant was the only hope in saving the young mother. Then, a man named Mark Willie murdered his girlfriend, Karen Ermert. But that wasn't where Ava's heart came from. It was when Mark turned the gun on himself, hitting his brain in a way that caused brain death but kept his heart beating, that the doctors, who were ready to break all the rules to save Ava's life, did just that. This is one heck of a story. Ava is still alive and works in the medical field. I will definitely be covering this as a mini-episode on Murder in the Rain. Tom Brokaw not only co-hosted the Today Show, but anchored the NBC Nightly News for 22 years. And yes, of all the news guys, he's probably the best one to picture naked. You know, if you insist on doing such a thing. Brian Williams. Brian Williams. Nope. He's a liar. Well, so? Satan's a liar. He's hot. <laughs> Television uh, at that time for me was a powerful, powerful medium. And the power of television is that it gives us a common place to turn to. And I'm very much aware of our role. I'm constantly thinking, what do they need to know? What is it that I'm not telling them? What can I do to put this in some kind of a context? Everybody can see the pictures. Let me try to say something about those pictures that will give them added meaning to the viewers. As Dorothy reads her Family Activities magazine, giving Blanche crap, joking that this time it was she who saw the look in the man's eyes that he wanted her, Sophia and her equally petite beau are coming in the front door. In an adorable purple with pink spots and a white lace collar dress, Sophia proudly enters, displaying a teeny tiny trophy. Turns out she and Tony, her new boyfriend, were the winners of the dance contest. It wasn't so much that they won, per se... More so like they lucked out because they were the only two in the elderly category that could dance without assistance. Playing the teeny tiny Tony is Joe Alfassa. 
Joe Alfassa had a 31-credit career that spanned 36 years. Some of the more notable roles were in Hill Street Blues, Night Court, One Life to Live, Model Behavior, Fantasy Island, Bosom Buddies, The Rockford Files, Jefferson, Kojak, The Odd Couple, What's Up Doc, Bewitched, and Car 54, Where Are You? And what I can only assume is a badass Fred Williamson exploitation flick, the title of which I will not be saying. He's black. He's brutal. He's boss. Part legend, part devil. All man. Can we watch that? I like Fred Williamson. I, I mean, and I like course, his movies. I think of course we can. We're like, okay, because we it's yeah. celebrating him being the I, boss. I, that's just what they called it. And I, guess, I guess that's his character's name, but that's not... I didn't do it, and I'm not saying it. <laughs> right. And that's just Fred Williamson to me. What what an interesting career that dude had has. He's been in a million movies. Yeah, we saw him last year in VFW, yeah, which was, that was so awesome. Cool. Yeah, a lot of cool character actors in that one. As Tony makes his way out the door, he receives a kiss on the cheek from Sophia. Blanche can't help but notice the chemistry. It's not even that Sophia likes Tony for who he is, but at their age, to find someone with an unrestricted driver's license, his own hair and teeth... Well, you keep a catch if you find one. Finally making her entrance in a pink sweater with white pants is Rose, who is coming in from the kitchen carrying a large cage. Confined inside, a chicken. Swiftly turning the corner, hoping to make it through the house without the bird being noticed, Rose is forced to turn back when both Blanche and Dorothy do notice that, yes, she is holding a chicken. Begging to be heard before being denied, Rose starts to make her case as to why she needs to keep the bird in the house, which at first, of course, is met with a chorus of, no, but she persists. This chicken belongs to Sylvia Battelle, the woman at the crisis center, a woman who we aren't sure if she's a client or a co-worker, but she was having some issues with her dentures, thinking she was receiving messages from Milton Burrell through them. But now she's had counseling and a visit with her dentist, so she's like new. From vaudeville to silent films, talkies, and his own TV show, Milton Berle did it all. But his big ego got in the way. As a comedian, he was not known for sending messages via dentures. But he was known as the poster child for the phrase I've coined, and to keep it family-friendly, we'll say, the bigger the Richard, the bigger the Richard. And Milton Berle was known for both. That's been thrown at me so many times, that question. I don't know what's so thrilling about is it true. I really don't know. No, I've had a little success with it, even recently at 88. So it seems quite true. All I know that when I get an erection, I black out. <laughs> Hi, Alicia. Hi, Coco. I've always felt that Milton Berle's penis though it may be huge, I feel certain, absolutely certain, that it is ugly as hell. <laughs> Just awful. If you saw it in a hot dog bun, you'd scream. Well, and he was known as... And that's canon. <laughs> that's canon. Just screaming that it's canon doesn't make it canon. Tell that to the canon. <laughs> you know there was another canon sound right I there. I absolutely know. Right then, too. Dorothy, however, begs to differ. How can you say she's mentally healthy when she keeps a chicken in her house? Well, this has Rose differing. She kept a chicken in her house. Point goes to Dorothy. For Blanche, the chicken falls in the same category of the dogs that have come through the house. They're gross. They're dirty. They belong outside. 
Sure, farm chickens do, but this here ain't no farm chicken. This is Count Bessie, and she is a showbiz chicken. Because of the bacteria present on birds' feathers, including chickens, it isn't a good idea to have a pet chicken that lives in the house. Sorry, Rose, that goes for showbiz chickens, too. There are two moments that I love here. I love how Blanche says, a showbiz chicken, what does she do, play the piano? And I love the stage acting of Blanche helping to clear the table. It kind of makes it feel for a moment like maybe you're watching a stage play. Like Blanche shouldn't know what to do or want to help, but for the sake of the setup, she jumps up and is moving things off the coffee table to make room for Bessie. Placing a fenced-in miniature piano on the table, Rose takes Bessie from her cage to the stage. As she pecks away at the keys, soon the child's tune of Old MacDonald starts to play. Performing chickens have been around since at least vaudevillian days. Not to say Count Bessie isn't special, but it's pretty clear she's playing Old MacDonald on a children's piano that, no matter what key is struck, plays the next note in the song. The tradition of musical chickens continues to this day thanks to the internet. Using lights on the keys and a lot of training, the flock stars made an appearance on America's Got Talent. So yes, hitting the lights on the piano is quite a feat, but this is what it sounds like when a chicken pecks at a piano while its chicken friend pecks at some drums. Rose is delighted by the performance and Blanche's willingness to let her stay in the house. Not knowing when to take a win and shut up, Rose then offers to have Bessie play for them after dinner. Blanche's request? Bye Bye Birdie. Inspired by Elvis Presley's enrollment in the Army, the play Bye Bye Birdie is the story of a rock star, Conrad Birdie, doing just that. But in this case, the Birdie is Bessie. Here's Anne Margaret from one of Josh's favorite film franchises, Grumpy Old Men, singing the title song. She, I'm, I sound nervous. I'm just like, she's so unbelievably perfect in that clip yeah. from Bye Bye Birdie. It's so groovy. Oh my God, everything about her is just the greatest. You can totally see, like, I know last time we talked about her, we talked how she was on the Flintstones. Oh, right. And you can just see how she is kind of the ultimate caricature human of the foxy go-go girl of that time. Yeah, even the way she dances mm-hmm. is it's it's really it's really great. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of things flinging around. And, and I, I I saw Grumpy Old Men, one and two, Grumpier <laughs> Old Men. With Before your I'd see, but of course with my grandma, both both <laughs> both uh, episodes of that series, that saga. And even even in that, I was like, there is something because I'd never seen her in anything else. Right. I was like, there is something going on between me and Anne Margaret <laughs> right now. <laughs> like uh, you were the Blanche to the Tom Brokaw, if you will. Yeah, I wanted to see those buns. (laughs) As Blanche and Rose take Bessie and her instruments back to the bedroom, Sophia asks Dorothy for clarification. Rose is the one working in a place for people dealing with mental health issues, right? Well, Morley Safer probably isn't available for the mental health expose as he's still digging into the dirt of Shady Pines from just a few episodes ago. A bargain or junk soon to be consigned to the trash heap of art history. Unexpectedly, the doorbell rings. 
Back in the living room, Blanche jokes that it's Bessie's bandmate, Henny Goodman. Benny Goodman was the king of swing, a famous clarinetist and bandleader. Henny Goodman is his chicken cousin. Shockingly, it isn't more barnyard band members, it's Sophia's sister Angela, treating us once again to the talented, funny, and endearing Nancy Walker. Well, Dorothy is just stunned to see her aunt at the door, all the way from Italy. Her disbelief is met with sarcasm, of course, as Angela gives a, no, it's not Angela, it's Sophia Loren. I just haven't used my oil of Olay. It's very possible Angela is actually Sophia Loren, the Italian goddess, since according to Oil of Olay in the 1980s, men won't like us and we won't look like our younger selves without their face treatments. Each greaseless drop eases dryness to revive the radiant look he loves. It can help you look younger, too. Since she didn't know Angela was coming, Sophia is certain this must mean something is wrong. The most likely scenario? That the vendetta between their family and the Balducci's has come to pass. To protect her family, Sophia will put foil on the windows. What she'll do with a dozen mattresses or 30 pounds of pasta remains unknown. Angela reminds Sophia there is no vendetta between the families. There aren't even families. All of the Balducci's are dead after eating bad sausages. Not bad as in poisonous, bad as in they stole them from another family. Who then killed them all? Back to the matter of Angela's visit. It turns out she's there for vacation. She sent them a letter to let them know. Covering her mouth in a way Blanche can't hear and Angela can, Sophia strongly whispers, She didn't send a letter. She forgets everything. Angela disagrees, then promptly greets Rose as Blanche before getting confused as to how they can live in a house with two Blanches. It's clear to Dorothy Angela must be tired from her trip, so she should go rest. But Angela doesn't want to. She's only just arrived. Well, this reminds Rose of a trip her daddy took the family on to see her uncle Ziggy, the inventor of a candy center detector. This prompts Angela to announce that she is in fact tired, so she will take Dorothy up on that nap. Also seeking escape, Dorothy, Sophia, and Blanche all start marching to their rooms, suddenly quite exhausted. But Rose is on to them, so she threatens to finish the story first thing in the morning, prompting a colorful parade of disappointed women who flop back on the couch. I guess it was pretty early for anyone to go lay down, as it's now later in the same evening and everyone is dressed in the same clothes. Complimenting the veal, Blanche thanks Angela for cooking, but Angela didn't see it as a compliment. She left sauce on the plate, and if you really like something, you use the bread to get all the sauce. But Blanche can't be so flippant with bread. She's actually put on a few pounds, a fact that she didn't need to say out loud. It's not like Angela's blind. Oh boy, just have the bread, Blanche. Besides, even if you can't afford the calories, you can afford the incredibly cheap bread. Excited by the extravagant, authentic Italian cuisine the sisters made for dinner, Blanche and Dorothy cannot wait for dessert. That is until they hear that it's Rose who will be providing that dish, prompting another one of my favorite Blanche moments, wherein upon hearing the devastating news, she lets out a damn. Correcting herself for Rose's sake, she lies and said, she said, yum, I said, yum. 
And I think I always love that one because that is full on something my Grammy would do. Not only how she said it, but just like she would verbalize her disappointment. Yeah, directly to a room of people. Yes. <laughs> but like kind of passively and under her breath. Yes. <laughs> it's a Southern thing. <laughs> Treating the girls to an ancient Scandinavian Gerflurchtenbergen cake, Rose proudly shares that she's tweaked the recipe a bit for some American flair. Then in a very pop culture moment, Dorothy jokes Rose has brought her cake into the 80s. And Coco, I might need your help on this. I even talked to my parents. I could have sworn there was like a specific thing that was being brought into the 80s because Dorothy says, so one could say you're bringing Gerflurchterbergen into the 80s. And I could have sworn there was something like you're bringing Coca-Cola into the 80s or something like that. And when I asked my parents, they said that was kind of everything for the decades that that was just kind of a saying like, oh, you brought da-da-da into the 80s or you brought da-da-da into the 90s. I thought maybe Volkswagen. Mm. What is it? Vertuben and Volkswagen maybe. But yeah, it probably is just a catch-all from that time. Yeah, so that's what my parents said. But I was like, I could have sworn there was a specific one. And and also by that time, this is like the late, like mid-late 80s, right? It's like 87. Yeah. So that probably had been played out so badly. Um, yeah, by 83, it's like, yeah, we brought that into the 80s. Yes, we're, yeah, we're, we're in here. the 80s. It's yeah. done. Yeah, so by 87, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. It would too. be just like a, a, yeah. I wonder if it is like a, if it was an oft used joke at the time. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm having a Mandela effect memory. So if anyone knows what I'm talking about, if there was a specific thing being brought into the 80s that was like a tagline, Gmail us. <laughs> Not planned. <laughs> that was cool. Rose agrees, but only modestly. Sure, the recipe is good, according to her, but she's not one to blow her own terpervenflurben, a.k.a. to blow her own horn. From the article Instruments of Expression, in medieval times, a herald would blow a trumpet to announce the arrival of a king. To blow your own horn simply means to create a fanfare for yourself. Blowing your own verturgenflurgo? Well, this is a family show. Blow it? Sophia can't even reach hers. Spicy. Catching up, Angela has shared with Sophia that they are the only two living members of the original family. Hmm. Then can someone explain the appearance of Uncle Angelo in an upcoming episode? Also, two kids, one Angela, one Angelo. That's just setting yourself up for failure. With everyone gone, Angela lives with her goat. Her daily routine is to hang with said goat, attend a funeral, return to goat, and pass out after drinking a bottle of Chianti. This spawns a conversation surrounding the time they have left to spend with each other and how difficult it is to do when you live across the world from one another. For Sophia, it's a reality check. At 80, they have, what, 20, 30 good years left? I hate to rain on this parade, but with an average lifespan in 1986 being 74.8 years, y'all are already pushing your luck. Sophia wants for them to be closer to each other. As she isn't interested in doing her laundry on a rock, she doesn't want to move back to the village in Italy. Rather, Angela should move back to the States. The idea has everyone excited for her. Everyone except Angela. She's old. What does she know about immigrating to another country? Well, it wouldn't be that hard. She did live here for 30 years. When Dorothy asks Angela to compare the options of living with a goat or living with Sophia, she needs a moment to process, but quickly decides, sure, I'll move to Miami. 
She can go home, pack up her things, and by the time she returns, the girls will have found her a place to live. Well, Dorothy finds all that flying back and forth to be totally unnecessary and offers another solution. We will send for your things, and you'll just stay at the house with us until you find somewhere to live. Angela is sold on the idea, as is Sophia. Well, maybe not sold so much as willing to pretend it's okay before asking in a very scary mom voice to see Dorothy in the living room. She is pissed. Sure, she invited Angela to stay in Miami, but not in the house. For Sophia, Angela has spent her life trying to take everything good Sophia had. Not because she wanted it, but because she's her sister, and that's what she does. Kind of proving Sophia right, Angela walks through the living room headed to the mailbox because she's taping her name to it. After telling her child she has pasta brains, Sophia goes to her room. We can only assume the sleeping arrangements have been made as such Sophia and Angela are sharing a room. It's a new day and a new snack of roses. Before she can sit on the couch with Dorothy to enjoy her treat, she realizes she's forgotten something and hops into the kitchen. Seeing a bowl of some sort of snacky on the table, Dorothy helps herself. Enjoying the treat, she asks Rose what it is. Well, she's not sure, but the name on the bag was chicken chow. Hopefully that was quality stuff consisting of field peas, alfalfa, corn, wheat, and oats. Not the cheap stuff that uses bone, animal byproducts, and other chicken parts. That's right, cannibal chickens. It's a thing. After Dorothy spits out her corny treat, Sophia comes out with a hand to the sky. Flustered in Italian, she's saying, curse, curse, all because of Angela. Today's complaint comes from Angela using the last of Sophia's dark spot correcting skin cream. Now Sophia, oh boy claims to have more brown skin than the singing group famous for songs like My Girl and their lead singer Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, who were all black men. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Talking about oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Dorothy knows the cream can be replaced, but their relationship can't be, so she begs her mother to just try and be positive and not look for reasons to be upset with Angela, even though she's already complained about having to share a bed with her and that she used the last of her denture adhesive, Polygrip. To get Dorothy on board with the frustration, she informs her Angela washed her sweater in a ditch, ruining it. Dorothy's attempt at making peace is a waste of air. Sure, Angela's been out all morning looking at places to live, but Sophia counters. Great. She has looked at a million places, each one eliciting the same complaints. It's too small, there's not enough light, and there's no room for a goat. (laughs) Cue Angela and Blanche returning. They enjoyed everything about the place they went and saw, a great location full of great people, but it was pretty small, it didn't have a lot of light, and there was no room for a goat. I really like the idea of picturing moving men going to Angela's place in Sicily, packing up boxes of silver and china, and then wrangling her goat. Angela's inability to find somewhere to live that isn't with Sophia only proves Sophia's point, that Angela, be it from being petty, desperate, or a saboteur, wants everything Sophia has, including credit for making dinner. Apparently, before going out to look at places, Angela put dinner on and didn't tell anyone to keep an eye on it? What a maniac! Sophia doesn't care about the hazard, she's just upset because she had wanted to make dinner for the house. Adding insult to cookery, Angela implies she wanted to cook so they would have a flavorful meal. 
Pulling out a plate of what is probably very cold fried chicken, Angela's insults towards Sophia's food continues until Dorothy has to step in, holding her mother back from a full-on Jerry Springer-style assault. Dorothy goes into improv mode when Angela sees the girls wrapped up in one another. Squeezing her mommy, Dorothy fakes a Heimlich maneuver, saying Sophia was choking. This calms everyone down, and they sit at the table to eat. Without waiting for Rose to join, Sophia, Blanche, and Dorothy excitedly stare down the chicken that's been presented and start to each take a piece from the plate. That's when a frantic Ellen... I'm having the best time I ever had in my whole life. I mean, Rose comes bursting into the kitchen. She's lost Count Bessie. Without a bite being taken, the girls quickly realize they are most likely holding the dismembered, battered, and fried corpse of the talented Miss Bessie. It's a new day, and Rose is still devastated. Sitting alone at the kitchen table wearing a muted, colorfully patterned dress, she sadly pokes at the keys of Bessie's piano. With a floral undershirt and coral jacket, Blanche offers support but is realistic. Yes, it is sad, but we're talking about a chicken, not Doc Severinsen. 94-year-old Doc Severinsen led the Tonight Show band for years in addition to his expansive jazz career. He can really blow his own Verturban flurber. Coming into the kitchen in her high-collared white shirt and yellow bag-inspired sleeveless sweater, Dorothy is also checking in with her friend. For Rose, it isn't even just that she's upset, but the owner of the chicken will be home in a few days. What is she supposed to do then? Greet her and then hand her a Tupperware full of her dead animal? But there are positives to be seen here. Just look at all of Count Bessie's accomplishments in just a few years. It was far more than most chickens ever do in their entire five to ten year lifespan. She deserves to be remembered in a special way because she was a special chicken. Blanche suggests a roast at the Friars Club. Oof, what a burn. The Friars Club was founded in 1904 in New York. Consisting of local artists, celebrities, comedians, and performers, they started with tribute dinners until their first roast of comedians Sam Levinson and Joe E. Lewis in 1950. Signing up is only $750, and dues are sent to charities. Roasting the comedians and entertainers has made for some iconic moments, especially when they were aired on Comedy Central at the turn of the century. Do you like that wording? Isn't that upsetting? Makes me want to barf. <laughs> anyway, here are some highlights of them roasting someone that very much deserved it. Now, I may not have half his paper, but I got twice the d and you can believe that. <laughs> Don't say he wants to run for uh, president and move on into the White House. Why not? It wouldn't be the first time you pushed a black family out of their home. Cracking herself up with that joke, Blanche has to chase Rose, who is running away from their heartless fodder. As the two of them continue to laugh at her loss, she encounters Angela, who is still worried about Rose's well-being after she threw herself on the table the night before, yelling, Murderer! Now she's running away, saying she's holding Exhibit A. As luck would have it, just as things are getting weird, Angela has found a place to live, via a flyer at the Senior Center, which happens to have enough space, light, and room for a goat. The new place even comes with a roommate who is coming to help her move her things. 
Storming down the hallway, Sophia, in her best librarian at Sunday school, white-collared shirt with a hideously textured purple sweater vest, has her hand out almost like a wand aimed for her sister. From a mile away, she could see that Angela was wearing the necklace her mother gave her for her confirmation. Coco, can you confirm confirmation for me, Catholic man? So I think it's the next step after your you, you do baptism, first communion, and then your confirmation is just like locking in the reservation. Mm. You've you are committed to doing that, uh, and I didn't do that. I didn't. I I started to go to those classes in like seventh grade, I think. Maybe it was eighth grade. And it was a no go. I didn't like it. So you're I, a little older for confirmation. Yeah. So you okay. could, I mean, it was at the point where I could kind of make that decision oh, and see okay. what I didn't like about it, mm-hmm. which was much. <laughs> And I was just out. I was just. I just wasn't connected to it at all. I almost never was. Um, certainly not by the time I got into high school. But you could have gotten a necklace. To Sophia, Angela always wanted that necklace. For Angela, she just needed something to cover the wart on her neck. But this does it for her. Since her arrival, Sophia has done nothing but accuse her of thievery, and she's over it. Giving the necklace back, Angela breaks the news she's leaving. With Blanche and Dorothy intervening, they beg them to get along. The girls eventually hug and hope to move on, but then the doorbell rings, and on the other side is Tony, whom they both greet. Sophia, because it's her boyfriend, Angela, because that's her new roommate. Once again, proving that Angela is nothing but a thief. Thus begins one of their iconic curse-offs. Sophia hoping Angela's eye bags grow so large that her head falls in them, Angela cursing Sophia with a cursed head after she mixes up her shampoo and her hemorrhoid cream. The truce is over. Grabbing her bags, Tony and Angela make a run for it. It's yet another day and Rose has adopted slash purchased slash stolen several chickens, all of which she's attempting to train, even leading by example, the skill of playing the piano with your face. All this while wearing one of my favorite sweaters of hers, the green one with the childlike painted-looking picture of an airplane with fluffy clouds. When Dorothy comes home to find Rose smashing her nose on the piano keys, she can only stare in amazement and mild horror. Implying she needs to be taken to a mental health facility, Dorothy offers to call 911 to get Rose help. Well, a straitjacket at least, which feels like a mild oh boy of its own. Sure, Rose looks like a wacko, but her client has found mental health relief in having a piano playing chicken. In an effort to minimize the damage, Rose is hoping to find another piano playing chick. What she should really be planning is a conversation with emotional tools for Sylvia so her mental stability won't be reliant on the life of a chicken. Out of the four chickens she's worked with, none of them can play the piano. It must be, in Dorothy's opinion, because like all of the youths of today, they're busy wasting their time on video games. In the kitchen, we find Blanche making a fruit salad for lunch, which she offers to share, and the girls agree to partake. Rose starts to leave to go get Sophia, but Blanche tells her not to bother. Since getting stabbed in the back by her sister, not literally, of course, she's lost her appetite. That literal part slipped past Rose, and now she's panicked. Who stabbed Sophia? Always one with an answer, Dorothy tells her it was a chef at Benihana. Opening in New York in 1964 by owner, famed wrestler Rocky Aoki, Benihana is recognized as the first successful Asian food chain in the U.S. 
While the food isn't exactly what some would consider traditional, the popularity of the restaurant, known for their knife-tossing, tabletop grill-cooking chefs, opened the doors for Asian cuisine in America. Uh, Benny Hanna fun fact. Mm. That guy's son is, I believe, superstar DJ Devin Aoki. Oh, fun. I think his name, who is very famous. Correction. Steve Aoki is a DJ. His sister, Devin, is an actress known for her role in Too Fast and Furious. Tagline, how fast do you want it? I don't know if we've gotten into that, but I, I don't trust a DJ. That's fair. I've been betrayed by two <laughs> DJs. Actually, I didn't even think about that. I have been betrayed by two D- DJs in my life. How? Well, my friend Johnny ended our friendship over something. Uh, DJ related? DJ, he, no, he just was a DJ. <laughs> And then um, one of my first, well, my first girlfriend, her brother, her older brother was a DJ, and he didn't show up to DJ my friend's wedding. No. After he said he would, he he, he just didn't show up. No excuse. At a wedding? Didn't show up to the wedding. That's two DJs who have burned me. If I was having a traditional wedding. And it was. Well, number one, if I were to ever get married, the music is like top priority. Mm-hmm. I would... Oh my God! It was a sad affair, a marriage that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe he was trying to tell them that. He was such a loser. Oh, that guy sucked. I wish I could remember his first name. <laughs> have you ever been to a Benihana? Yeah, I definitely went to Benihana a couple times when I was living in in, uh, in L.A. Um, but a place I used to go with my mom was actually called Kabuki, and it was like a knockoff version of that. But it was right next door to the movie theater that we went to all the time. That's mm. cool. So I have a lot of really good memories going to Kabuki, and um, I love that, man. Get on that grill. <laughs> Better flip a shrimp in my mouth. For Sophia, there is no coincidence in Angela ending up at Tony's place. She is clearly trying to steal her boyfriend. Rose can't imagine any sisters would do such a thing, but for Blanche, it seems totally plausible. Rose can only assume it's genetics due to the double helix of the DNA molecule. Now, I am no DNA doctor, but as far as I know, the double helix is part of the DNA makeup, no matter the gender. But we do have Rosalind Franklin to thank for giving us the structure of DNA. Peter Marshall, best known for Hollywood Squares and Annie, did actually make multiple appearances on Love Boat. One, even as a doctor. But I don't believe they discussed DNA with advice columnists, the Landers sisters. Father, you're never fully dressed without a smile. Aha, the lovely Boylan sisters. Because she's experienced such sisterly deception, Blanche knows Sophia is right about Angela. For example, when she was younger, she and Virginia had similar issues. Could you believe a sister on the night before the senior prom would seduce her own sister's boyfriend? Oh, no, that's not what Virginia did. That's what Blanche did. In all fairness, it was simply revenge for Virginia borrowing her saddle shoes without asking and scuffing them. How is what Blanche did any worse? She didn't even leave a mark on that boy. After calling Tony and hearing a female voice, Sophia is leaving to go kill her sister, who is clearly sleeping with her boyfriend. She'll be home in time for Wheel of Fortune. Getting to the apartment, Sophia knocks while yelling for them to come to the door. Run and hide? Angela can't do that. She can hardly walk. Because of her age. Not because Tony is some sort of Mr. September. If you saw it in a hot dog bun, you'd scream. (laughs) 
Head to head, the little sisters are equipped with glasses, purses, and curses. First, Sophia. May Angela's lip and nose hair get entangled. For Sophia, it's that she'll take a diuretic, a pill to make you pee, and not be able to get her pantyhose off in time. While Sophia is in a purple and pink checkered dress with a maroon cardigan, Angela is in a fluffy pink bathrobe, both of them, of course, holding their purses. She's been out shopping, she came home, and showered. Well, her story's starting to fall apart now that Tony has arrived, also in his bathrobe. Not taking her own sister's word, it takes Tony backing her story up, that they're only roommates and Sophia is the only girl for him, for Sophia to believe him. Realizing her mistake, Sophia hugs Tony, then hugs Angela, then gives us a different oh boy when she looks over to see another woman coming out of Tony's room. This Amazonian woman, comparatively speaking, is wearing a floor-length floral nightgown and is also surprised to see other women around. When Tony tries to pass her off as his cleaning lady, she reveals that she too has been told that she was the only woman for him. Esther Larner, the other woman, is, to be frank, what? not my favorite actress to ever make an appearance on the show. It always felt like she was maybe nervous or just really stiff. Esther only had two roles, this appearance with the girls and the 1992 George Clooney film Unbecoming Age, or also known as The Magic Bubble. Funny enough, she's listed as woman with the girls and lady number one in the film. And I did just receive that movie on DVD, so we will be watching it soon. And I will be banking a Patreon soon so we can really dive into that because it looks crazy. This woman blows some bubbles and doesn't know how old she is. Therefore, she starts acting really young. So by the time we get to George Clooney's episode, we will have watched it and we'll discuss it more. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell and it is called Unbecoming Age, aka Magic Bubble. So it's not clear how the magic really works. Her being more childish and fun makes her a better, more fun parent and somehow makes her son a better baseball player as well. Her son's name is Junior and... In a scene where he wants to rename himself, she suggests Spider-Man after looking at a poster, and then looks at a picture of the Fantastic Four and suggests Captain America. And they eventually settle on the name Willie. It's like big with bubbles. Yes! It's biggles. Bibble. <laughs> Bibbles? Bibbles. Or buggles. They killed the radio star. <laughs> <laughs> Offended, the ladies surround Tony and physically assault him with their little purses. Good thing it happened here and not back in the village. Their uncle would have put Tony in hot water. Literally. Realizing they have a tumultuous relationship and perhaps being too involved in each other's lives might not be for the best, Angela has decided to find another apartment. To apologize and make amends, Sophia gives Angela the necklace from her mother. Suddenly, Old MacDonald on a piano starts being played. Running into the living room, the girls find Count Bessie at the keys. But how is that possible, Angela? You said the chicken from the other night was in the garage. Yeah, from the freezer, not the live chicken in a cage. What am I, Conan the Barbarian? Wrong! Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you? They had a lamentation of the women. That is, good. that is good. It turned out Bessie had just wandered out of her cage and on top of being a musician has a great sense of direction as she found her way home. And with that, the chicken is back, 
Angela is moving, and all is well. That is until Dorothy invites her to stay at the house until she finds a new place, prompting the sisters to say in unison, Dorothy, can I speak to you for a minute? This was an interesting plot, as it's actually the same one we will experience with Rose and her sister, the perceived taking of things, important things in their lives. Coco, I don't have a sister, but you do. I'm sure it's different for brothers and sisters and age differences, but did you ever have a sense of that with Amy, that there was a natural competitiveness? No, no, not not for me. And I actually, um, I had actually had a conversation with my sister very recently about that and that she she really felt an imbalance between us Mm -hmm. as far as the way we were treated Mm. she recognized that that she had an inclination to feel that way towards me Mm. but she always knew that it wasn't my fault so she 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 never felt that way towards me which is amazing as a child amazing amazing but she and and, and as a result we always had a very close relationship that's really great Um, so like she could see that there was a difference in how we were both what your relationship was with the parents compared to what her relationship was, yeah. but she recognized that that's the parent stuff, not you stuff. Yeah, I was that's too really young cool. to recognize that, but she was a few years older than me and, and was able to. And that's really and cool. I, I really do credit it with us having still having a relationship now, mm-hmm. you know, because she that always meant that that really meant something to her. Yeah. And I mean, from the moment that I came into her life, that she was just like crazy about me. So. And I think that's hard for people to recognize because it's a lot easier to point the blame at the person that's your peer. Or who's, yeah, who's getting the thing you don't, that you yeah, want. Yeah. It's or, like, yeah. Oh, I'm mad at you because you're getting, and it's like to, to have a child be able to recognize, I want that thing he has, but that's not his fault yeah. that, that he's being given that. That's yeah. like. Really beautiful. It's real love, and I think too. It's we're both adopted, and we're both adopted from different mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that bond that we have, that we we are not blood, but because of our circumstances, we are. Mm-hmm. There's something about that between us that gives that's yeah. like forged this like incredible bond between us. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where that comes from. From her is that she she's just like no, it's like my brother. I'm not yeah. mad at him. He's great. Yeah. And I am. <laughs> it's true. I love you, Amy. <laughs> Sometimes those most difficult to get along with are those closest to us. Family comes with a lot of rules, history, and weight, but it should never come with disrespect, dishonesty, or the killing of musical pets. If you have someone in your life you feel is trying to sabotage it, talk to them about it, and in words, not curses. Being aggressive or intense might only implode the conversation before anything can be solved. Set boundaries, hold them, and don't feel bad for it. Life is short especially if you're a chicken. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we talk all things facelift on Whose Face Is This Anyway? You ready? I am. You ready? Are you party? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Do it. Yeah, good energy. <laughs> He's literally smoking. Somebody's me. I knew that was coming. Or no, there's no way he put any effort behind what he was doing. Milton Burl unfurled. That's it. He would he would reveal and then be like, "Oh, there you go. Do something with it. Go to town, sweetheart." Or whatever. I think maybe 
the name Milton Berle is actually his penis's name. <laughs> and he's just sort of like a... Because that's what it looked like when girls were like, su- wow, a, it looks like a Milton Berle. He's a life support system for that thing. <laughs> well, not anymore, right? No, rips. <laughs> that thing's just turning in, into dust right now. A whole, whole bunch of dust. <laughs> From the earth it came and whence it shall return. <laughs> Maybe the 14 minutes of Milton Burl penis talk goes in the bloopers. Do you think? <laughs> How weird for a guy to be fixated on penises, huh? <laughs> Huge ones. Weird. I don't want to see it. I love how Blanche says, a showbiz... Dang, that's a hard, hard word. And that's how the sausage gets made. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there are two mem. Oh. <laughs> and that's how the sausage gets made. <laughs> the Milton Burl sausage. I was gonna do it when you said the Jeffersons earlier. <laughs> <laughs> to me, she was more like a senior member of the Partridge family. Yes. Come on, get happy. <laughs> She's. The Partridge Grandma that we don't ever get to see, but she's desperate to go back on tour. God. The way we treat our elders, huh? <laughs> also, I don't like the idea of like kids going off with adults that are in an organization that's um, known for maybe not being great to kids, and then they come home with gifts. We were up in the mountains. While the food isn't exactly what some would consider... Wow. <laughs> while the food isn't exactly what some would could cons- <sighs> while the food isn't exactly what some would consider <laughs> while the food isn't exactly what some would could cons- <sighs> consider I, I like uh, some would consider this is like a little kid with a cold I know it's like blocking me it's like stopping me consider this <laughs> get a new line of work babe <laughs> How dare you? Well, you just can't get cheese at a at an Asian place, really. Well, yeah. I know. I'm just. I was just making a. I was just <laughs> making a comment. Really Hello. Funny. Yes, I just made a comment. No is all. cheese at that place. <laughs> I like cheese. That was such a like grandpa comment. Like the whole family would be talking about when they went out to dinner, and then grandpa would be quiet the whole time, and then after everyone's quiet, he'd just go, "No cheese at that place," and then no one would know what to do with that. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sisters. If I had a this is where I'd tell you to suck it. Damn!